I was reading an article by a teacher who had said that she was talking to young teenagers at school and she was asking them, what do you want with your life? Where are you going? What do you want? What's your purpose in life? And in different ways, in different (laughs) uh, stories, it basically came down to the majority wanted to be famous. And fame is not something that's in the Bible as something to pursue. Now, greatness is fine to pursue. The Bible says that him who desires to be great be the servant of all. But a lot of things have changed with the advent of social media and the ability for anybody to have a million followers and say stuff, do stuff. But years ago, if you would have asked my class, we would have all been thinking about purpose. What's the purpose for my life? Where can I have a significant impact with my life. And it kind of sparked something in me to talk to you about your view of the church. How do you see Christians? How do you see the church? I'm a second-generation pastor's kids. My list is three times as long as yours. Of all the things I despise. Okay? But we better be careful Because there's only one group of people that you are safe attacking on this planet. Only one group that you're safe to attack. And that's Christians. You can denigrate them. You can complain about them. You can make jokes about their God. uh, You can harass them. And it's always open season on Christians. And it continues to grow. There are books that are so full of lies about the history of Christianity. There are people who are supposed to be experts in history who will take on the church and find each of its flaws because every organization on the planet has flaws. And every organization has leaders that are poor leaders, evil leaders, misdirected leaders. And the church, of course, is no different when you look back at history, the dark ages, etc. But I want to give you a different look today at the church of Jesus Christ because herein lies your purpose. Herein lies what we need to be excited about. Now, In Colossians 2.3, it says, In him, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are safely kept hidden. In who? In Christ. Now, anytime we move in knowledge outside of Christ, we begin to create hell. Because the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where you don't have the fear of the Lord, many of the old sages said that knowledge is power. It might be, but ungodly knowledge is brutal. Nazi Germany was the most learned country uh, at the time of the Nazis, and yet it never stopped Auschwitz or the 20 million people at a bare minimum that were killed because of the ideologies of Hitler. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 31, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Now, notice this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. This ought to make our ears just perk up. The kingdom of heaven, 
Works like this? Yes. Now, the kingdom of heaven is not only in the place called heaven. When you die as a born-again believer, there's a place, a prepared place for a prepared people, and that's called heaven. But when you are born again, you are in the kingdom, even though you are down here on the planet. So he's saying this is the way the kingdom of heaven works. So this is an eye-opening moment as Jesus himself explains it. It's like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Jesus speaking. Now I want you to know that the kingdom of God continually grows. The kingdom of God is unstoppable. When it says birds nest in their branches, If you go to Mark chapter 4, the same story being told, you'll find out that birds represent demons. says so, as plain as a nose on your face, that birds represent demons in this story. And so the enemy can't do anything. The, the, The defeated army of the dark kingdom can do nothing about the growth of the kingdom of God, but rest in its branches as nothing stops it from growing. But yet, why do we have so many people today whose end time doctrines are so defeated and so wah, wah that Jesus has to come and rescue a defeated church? from whatever their end time is, you know, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, no-trib, you name it, um, all these different beliefs, but so many of them have a defeated church that Jesus must come and rescue them. Yet this says the kingdom of heaven is like, and it mentions a mustard seed, and it says that when you sow this thing, it begins to grow. It's unstoppable, but it becomes so great, the birds just rest in its branches. Now, this parable is talking about your individual life. Yes, When you give your life to Christ, this relationship with him, you loving Jesus and you growing in his word, and then you being filled with his spirit, enjoying what he has done for you from the cross to the throne. Man, it's incredible. That's that's the first thing this parable is talking about. But, But the second thing it's talking about here is the Christians to the world. That yes, I know that religion, religion sucks. I hate religion. By that, I mean this man-made rules of us judging one another and and, and hurting one another. But when we talk about real Christianity, its purpose is that when Jesus came, it was just him. Then it was him in 12. Then it was him in thousands. But when he came, these Christianity's roots, they might have been small, they might have been humble, but it began to grow and it's unstoppable. Now, you can let all the atheists talk about the Middle Ages. Uh, Yes, where evil religious leaders burned women by the thousands, drowned them, burned them as witches. I mean, sick, awful leaders under the guise of being Christians or followers of Christ did a lot of crazy things. Uh, And study even the leaders that had a great impact on the world, and you can follow their lives and find some crazy things, horrible things, and the world loves to focus on the flawed leaders, on the flawed seasons, on the horrible things that happened. And yet, the church of Jesus Christ today has got more than two billion people that say they follow him. The church of Jesus Christ can't be stopped. 
even with poor leadership, even with poor principles, even with not understanding things. I mean, think people like Luther and nothing was perfect to the church of Jesus Christ, but the church is unstoppable. And you need to understand something. Christ is building his church. And he's building his church through imperfect people, through imperfect leaders. And none of us can say, hey, I've got this all together. You need to understand this Jesus and his church and how he has changed the world. No one will talk about it in secular culture, especially not the atheists. I mean, emperors and governors uh, were men with power in Christ's day, but their bodies rot in the grave. They've got no followers. No one worships them. No one serves them or awaits their bidding, but not so with Jesus. Napoleon's an interesting figure in history. Here's a comment from him. I search in vain in history to find the similar to Jesus Christ or anything which can approach the gospel. Nations pass away, thrones crumble, but the church remains. I want you to get something in your heart that you are a part of something as a born-again believer that is unstoppable. There is no demon from hell. There is nothing that is going to stop the church of Jesus Christ when Jesus said, this is the kingdom of God, starts as a seed in the ground, and it's going to grow. It's unstoppable. Demons will just, just literally rest in its branches. They might always be here for a while, but nothing is going to stop it. The church of Jesus Christ has made more changes, or you could say Jesus has made more changes on this planet than anyone else through his church. And so I'm going to just kind of give you a different kind of message today. You know, when you take a look at the contributions of the Bible through Christians, through Christ to the world, let me just list them off and then I'm going to dive into some stuff. Hospitals essentially began because of Jesus in the Middle Ages. Universities started in the Middle Ages because of Christians, and it was for Christian purposes Literacy, education for the masses started with Jesus. Education was held back from the masses and given just to the few to maintain this power grid. Capitalism and free enterprise, which has created the wealthiest, richest countries today and has been able to take this wealth and raise up the poor. You know that it is hard to find today, according to the stats, that we are bringing people out of hunger and poverty so quickly. And it's because of capitalism and free enterprise. I know the word capitalism is being used as a swear word because of evil CEOs and companies. Uh, but when you take a look at what this has done, uh, as you, when you take a look at the church of Jesus Christ and who shows up at the emergencies, at the typhoons, the storms that destroy hundreds of thousands of people, you'll notice the trucks and the planes and the ships, they come from Christian agencies, usually first on the scene. Representative government comes from the Bible, especially when you look at the American experiment of it. Um, The separation of political powers, these ideas, civil liberties, these all come from the word of God. And it comes because of the church, the abolition of slavery, uh, both back then in antiquity and in in now um, is because of the church of Jesus Christ. Modern science. You know, when I was becoming a paramedic, one of my instructors who trained me in the ORs with ET intubation, would always tell me how the church has held back science. The church is in disagreement with science. Nothing 
could be further from the truth. And I'll dive into that in a minute. When you take a look at what has happened with the discovery of the new world by, by Columbus was because of their Christian stance. The elevation of women. Today, there are some women's rights movements who will attack the church because you guys hold women under your heel. But when you take a look at history, and we'll dive into that a little bit too when we have time, it is the most in. There, there has been the most incredible elevation of women because of Jesus. Because before Jesus, you should see what it was like. Benevolence and charity, not just giving, but a heart to give. And the good Samaritan ethic. When Jesus told stories and when Jesus said things and the teachings of Jesus, a lot of times they don't mean much to it. Like the good Samaritan's a cool story. No, no, you don't get it. Nobody looked after the poor and the injured. They finished them off. They ignored them. They did not touch them. Life was, was so cheap, but just the story of the good Samaritan radically changed how we look after the wounded and the hurting and the broken, even when they are not in our um, political sphere or in our thinking, etc. When you look at higher standards of justice today, it's because of the church. Why is the world and all of its religions trying to move to a country where, it's, where the laws are formed on Judeo-Christian principles? The elevation of the common man is because of Jesus. Because when you go before Jesus, there was the elite, and then there was the nobodies, and Jesus changed it all. When it comes to sexual perversions and, and stabilizing marriage, stabilizing the homes, protecting children, protecting women, um, the Bible is what brought such strength and ability to raise the beauty of sexuality up to where God designed it and to where it really is at its best. A high regard for human life was something Jesus brought because life was so cheap, and we'll talk about that. When you look at the civilizing of many of the barbarian tribes and primitive cultures, you know, you watch the movies about Vikings. Boy, when Christianity hit those shores, the Vikings begin to turn to Christ. And if you study it out, and watch where they stand today. It's incredible what Jesus has done there. The codifying of the world's languages and getting it in writing, as we know that when the word of God is in the written language of a country, massive things change, and history will prove that out. Today I'm taking about 40 hours of reading and books all over the place, and I want to, just, I want to give you a sense of something that maybe you've not heard before, or maybe it's a good reminder. You see... Well, the greatest developments of art and music came since Jesus. Countless transformed lives, which is really the power of the gospel. You see, this eternal salvation is really the key. It's the gospel, the good news for an individual to give their lives to Christ is the primary goal of the church of Jesus Christ. And all of these other things are byproducts. But the problem today is that people don't understand that there are two commands to the Christian church. Number one is the Great Commission, to share the good news of the gospel, not to beat people up, slap them around, to be condescending or arrogant, but to share with such love and grace that they're forgiven. All you have to do is accept it. But it's not just the Great Commission. And so, many, so much of the church is even lousy at that. But there is something that has escaped 
the, the understanding of the church, and that is the cultural mandate that is talked about in the book of Genesis, to go into the world, to subdue it, to multiply, to fill it up. This creativeness that's within mankind, this giftedness, we're made in the likeness and the image of God. I mean, to fill it up with cities and farms and high-rises and, and computers. I mean, this is what he is saying when you get into the original. It's to establish culture. And it's the root word for culture in the Greek there. Jesus has had a stunning impact on this world. Dr. James Allen Francis, he puts Christ's life and his influence into perspective in a famous narrative that I know you've heard, but it sure bears reading right now. It's called One Solitary Life. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college and he never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves while he was dying. His executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on the earth as much as that one solitary life. Jesus is someone you'd better respect. His church is something he's building. So I don't know who your favorite architect is or who your favorite politician is or who your favorite world figure is, but who's building his church is Jesus. Now the argument might be out, which is a part of his church and which isn't based on man-made religion. But the impact is there. From Jesus and 12 men, today, through all of the attacks against the church, its leadership, its mistakes, uh, some of them are horrific. From then to today, two billion people declare Jesus as their Lord and Savior from whatever denomination, or however they mean that, but they still declare Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Jesus has changed the world as we know it. Take children, for example. Children, life was cheap for children. Children could be killed by their fathers whenever they wanted. Uh, children were, were a nothing. It was a dangerous thing to be a child in Roman or Greek civilization. In fact, there was a saying they would use that it was a beautiful poetic thing for a father to kill one of his children. Some of the sickest things you could imagine took place in history. But when Jesus came, he was born of a woman. 
He was a baby. He, be, he grew up as a child. He said to his disciples, and it's written here, Let, don't stop the little children. Let them come to me. These things don't mean much to us today because so much of these Judeo-Christian principles have been established. <clears throat> we just don't realize where they come from. But because of Jesus, children are special. Children are precious. When you look at history, you will find country after country where babies would be put out on the walls of the city for animals to come take them away because the poor couldn't afford them. Or families only wanted one or two girls at the most, then they wanted boys. So the giving up of female babies, the giving up of, uh, of girls was brutal. I mean, half of the population of ancient Roman Greece were all slaves uh, anyway. And so the life of a child was cheap. Women, same thing. Women were owned. I mean, you could kill your own wife, and in most cultures, you would be okay doing it. So when people say, well, the Bible denigrates and pushes women down, you don't understand history. When Jesus came along and said to the woman caught in adultery, where are thine accusers? And he says to her, listen, go your way. I'm not accusing you either. And, and, and the things that he said and the things that he did, a reporter talked to me one time and said, you know, can I just ask you what your stance is on women? I said, sure. So like, where do you stand on, um, you know, women submitting to men? I said, I agree with that. And the next verse, it says men submit to women. It's what works in a marriage, learning to give and take. Oh, so no, no, I mean like, I mean, I mean I'm talking about like, you know, do you consider yourself the high priest of the home? I said, well, I don't know what you mean by the high priest. Well, are, do you consider yourself the leader of the home? I said, yes, but what do you consider leadership? Okay, tell me what's leadership. Oh, leadership is doing it first. That means I say, I'm sorry first. I forgive first. I'm first to compliment. I'm first to reach out a helping hand, even when I'm tired. And this thing, and she never even printed the article because I wouldn't give her enough stuff to make our church look like that we dominated women. Now, the Bible is the most incredible book. And from the time of Christ and on, women began to find value. And when you look at the elderly, it's the same thing. The elderly when they had outlived their usefulness, okay? Eskimos would put their elderly on ice floes and push them out into the ocean. People killed them and disposed of them like they did their children and their babies. And Jesus brought such significance to the sanctity of life, not just the quality of life. See, that's the buzzword today in today's world. Is there a quality of life there? And in their mind, if there's not a quality of life, then you can end that life. You can, you know, help the elderly just die. And, and they'll use all these buzzwords. But when you begin to understand that the sanctity of life is the spiritual significance that that life will live forever. It's an eternal spirit, something different. When you look at slavery, and I'm just blasting through some thoughts. I, I want to change your perspective. When you look at slavery, I mean, the Roman Empire and the Greeks and all the people that we look at and go, they were the wisest. I mean, they had slaves, and I mean, most half the population were slaves. They were killed. If someone killed a um, slave owner, every slave was killed as a matter of principle. On record, we have one person that was killed in Rome, and over 400 people were killed because they were all slaves to his estates, one after the other killed, because he was slaves were the worst thing you could ever be. There, there was no value or quality at all. Uh, you could be slept with, killed, you could be whatever they wanted. And people think, well, why doesn't the Bible say something? Well, the Bible is about the change of the human heart, because once the human heart changes through 
through salvation. Everything changes. But it's interesting that Onesimus was a slave, and he was with Paul for a little while, and Paul sent him back to Philemon. And the book, which no one talks about the book of Philemon, because we go, of course. But Paul sent a slave, lower than a dog, lower, less value than the pig he was raising for food. He sent a slave, Onesimus, back to Philemon and said, receive him now as your cherished brother. Tosco, yeah, of course. Back then, that was verboten. That, are you kidding me? That was unheard of. But the Bible brings such freedom. And every nationality, every culture out there, if you go back far enough, you will find slavery. No one has been immune but the church of Jesus Christ. You could look at the poor and the fact that the poor, they died, man. You died. When they talked about a woman making a little bit of food for herself and her child and then dying, that's the truth. They died in towns. They died in villages. No kings brought food from their palace. No emperors shared their food. You lived and died. The poor were not cared about. But along came Jesus Christ, and he taught them this. He said, as you've done it to the least of these You've done it to me. And he took the poor and the maim, and he took those who didn't have clothes. And he said, when you do something for those who are hurting, you're doing it for me. It changed everything. And as the Romans and the Greeks put babies out on walls for wild animals that were unwanted, they collected them up every night. And they would take them into orphanages and raise them. They would go into diseased towns and, and places where no one would go into that home. And they would go in at their own peril and wipe the sweat off their brow as people died. When someone was dying of disease, you shut them up in their home. You killed them, but you wouldn't get near them. You wouldn't allow them. And, and so hospitals and, and the things that Jesus brought to this world are absolutely stunning. Education education for the masses and for the common person. When you take a look at how much the church of Jesus Christ um, are the ones who formed universities, the greatest universities in America started as Christian universities for Christian purposes. You talk about democracy, you talk about liberty. This all comes from the word of God where the whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And that freedom starts in the spirit. Then it gets into the soul through the renewing of the mind. And then it controls the body and a freedom that leaves a... It's all from the word of God. No wonder people are leaving their countries and coming to any country that has formed and created its legal system and its startup from Judeo-Christian principles. One of the biggest lies out there is, that I've heard this often, well, more people have been killed in the name of Jesus than any other name. An absolute fabricated lie. Let me take that one on just for a minute. You know, if you take the worst accusations against the church and when evil leaders rose up or they went to battle with trying to get Jerusalem back, however you want to do this, it doesn't compare to the atheists today. Stalin, Stalin over 40 million of his own people while he tried to wipe out Christianity in Russia. How about Mao Zedong? 70 million, 70 million of his own people while he's trying to wipe out Christianity, religion, any form of resistance. Hitler, I mean, 20 million that we know of, and there's no measurement for the ones that were died in war because of him. There are so many lies out there that make you embarrassed of the church because there's always a little bit of truth there. But if you think religion had problems, take a look at atheism. 
And you can go from country to country to country where atheism and communism is, and it'll take the lives of millions and millions of men, women, and children. Science, you know, wow, the church has always been against science. That is not even true. Why do we swallow lies without research? When you take a look at the fact that scientists and people who believed in creation were the greatest impact on the sciences, from Isaac Newton and on. I'm going to read really fast, just, just to mess with your head. All of the scientists who were creationists and founded, founded branches of science, and this is a very small list compared to all that's out there. Let's go through this. Antiseptic surgery, Joseph Lister. Bacteriology, Louis Pasteur. Calculus by Isaac Newton. Celestial mechanics, Johannes Kepler. Chemistry, Robert Boyle. Comparative anatomy, George Cuvier. Computer science, Charles Babbage. Dimensional analysis, Lord Raleigh. Dynamics, Isaac Newton. Electronics, John Ambrose Fleming. Electrodynamics, James Clerk Maxwell. Electromagnetics, Michael Faraday. Energetics, Lord Kelvin, entomology of living insects, Henry Fabry, field theory, Michael Faraday, fluid mechanics, George Strokes, galactic astronomy, Sir William Herschel, gas dynamics, Robert Boyle, genetics, Gregor Mendel, glacial geology, Louis Agassiz, gynecology, James Simpson, hydrography, Matthew Murray, hydrostatics, Blaise Pascal, ethology, Louis Agassiz, um, isotopic chemistry, William Ramsey, model analysis, Lord Raleigh, natural history, John Ray, uh, non- Euclidean geometry, Bernard Riemann. Uh, oceanography, Matthew Mowry. Optical mineralogy, David Brewster. And the list goes on and on. All of these men, creationists, who founded branches of science. We need to get our, our mind back on the power of Jesus Christ. Moving through an imperfect church, but without his church, where would this world be? So I want to remind you, there's a lot of lies out there. Satan is the father of lies. And if the church of Jesus Christ is what he's here to stop, then his lies are going to come against the church. You know, as I began to prepare for ministry years ago and began to read through books, then I'd read books that would come against the church. Some of the stuff I read horrified me until I began to find somebody would make some sense out of it. I found lie after lie after lie. I found statistics and things that were thrown out there as if they knew, and they didn't. And so I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to recognize that according to Jesus, this is the way the kingdom of God works. It's as a man plants seed in the ground, and he goes to sleep night and day, and the seed grows. He doesn't even know how. First the blade, then the ear, and the full corn in the ear. The kingdom of God is advancing. And if you don't believe it, just run the numbers from Jesus till today, two billion. And even though it's got bad moments and horrible statistics at times through leaders and wrong leaders, the church of Jesus Christ is not going to be stopped. He's not coming back for a whipped, beaten group of people. He's coming back for a glorious church, the Bible says, without spot or wrinkle. The head and not the tail, above and not beneath. The influence, we are the salt, we are the light. This is the church, and we need to get pastors and leaders on television, everywhere else, preaching again the church of Jesus Christ. Yes, imperfect, but we are the only hope this planet has and these people have. And my challenge to you today, please get a new look at Jesus, his church, 
And let's lift our heads high and know that Jesus that we serve is the greatest leader. No leader can touch him. The leaders that are buried will one day stand at the great white throne judgment from Stalin to Mao Zedong to Hitler uh, to all the rest of them. But Jesus prevails. I love Jesus. Not because he's the simple, wimpy, long-haired guy with precious moments, eyes wearing a dress and flip-flops which is the way the world wants you to see him. But what Revelation says, the king of all kings, eyes like fire, hair like white wool, wearing the armor of a a king who is the king of all kings. That's the Jesus we serve. This is the Jesus we need to teach our children. We need to teach in our Sunday schools, in our homes, recognizing that it's the parents that are held accountable for the education of children. Church and schools, those are the icing on the cake. And as we raise them up to be so in awe of their Jesus, that it's the fear of the Lord that'll be the beginning of all their wisdom. And let's raise up the kids according to their gifts, that we've got prime ministers and we've got doctors and lawyers, influential men and women who rise up and change society. This is what has been happening all down through history. And now is not the time to be uh, some little group of Christians. Jesus, come rescue us, praise the Lord. And, and when a pastor stands up and begins to speak about integrity and honor and, and, and day-to-day living and government and education and, and et cetera, go, who are you to talk about that? Actually, we're the pastors who are speaking from the word of God that these countries are founded on. And people need to start listening again to what is going on. Jesus, I pray that you touch each of us. That in this message today, that you'll touch the hearts of each of us deeply. That we'll see that our giftedness, our future, our purpose remains in these two things, the Great Commission, and to fulfill the cultural mandate of filling this world with giftedness rising up as influential leaders in every sector. Father, here at Springs, I pray that it'll touch each of them in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, and everybody in agreement, amen and amen.